Welcome to California Ballot Breakdown from KPFA, where we take you through the stakes of what's on your ballot, the money behind the campaigns, give everyone enough time to make their best argument, and then try to get them off their talking points. On today's special. I'm not sure even if that's legal, but it feels like harassment. She's been paid by these campaigns all year long, and uh, it's not clear what the endorsement process is for the NAACP. What you can do with a whole lot of money in California state politics. We're going to start with how the Yes on 22 campaign is using the record-breaking sum of money it has raised to permanently lock gig drivers in independent contractor status. Then we're going to take a look at the strange and baffling endorsements of the California NAACP and what they have to do with the political consulting firm that is run by that organization's president, seems to be doing very well for itself this year. That's all coming up next on California Ballot Breakdown. All right, this is going to be our final edition of California Ballot Breakdown because the voting is upon us. Uh, Millions of ballots have already been cast in California. Uh, All of the early voting election centers in counties that are using the election center system this year will be open by this Saturday. So we thought we would wrap up by going back to some of the ballot initiatives we've hosted debates on, and instead of discussing the fine points of the policy merits, uh, look at the money in politics, how it is getting spent to influence your political decisions. We're going to start with this follow-up on Proposition 22, which is now the most expensive ballot initiative in the history of California. This is the initiative that would permanently lock California gig drivers into independent contractor status and make it all but impossible for the state to set up a system whereby they could unionize and collectively bargain. Uh, More than $200 million has gone into the Yes on 22 effort so far. And because the platform companies that are paying for it, this is Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart, because they have a lot of points of contact, both with the hundreds of thousands of people who work for them and the millions of people who use their services, this has opened up a lot of new avenues for campaigning that are raising some eyebrows in good government circles. Ariel Boone has this report. Tanya Itisval got into an Uber in San Francisco on October 17th, and something happened that she'd never seen before. So when the driver approached, it said on my app that this driver supports Yes on 22. So she asked him about it. I I said, I, I just noticed that it said that you support Yes on 22. Do you mind if I ask you about that? And he's like, well, I don't. It's just that this message keeps popping up with every ride. So I wanted it to go away because, you know, you want to get to that ride or that request as soon as possible. So I just clicked yes to make it go away. Tanya drives for Uber and Lyft herself. She organizes with a local driver's group in San Diego. But she's been off the app since the pandemic hit and her kid is home from school. So she hadn't seen how the apps are now politically pressuring the drivers that use them. I'm not sure even if that's legal, but it feels like harassment because basically they're asking you to vote or vouch for a propaganda that's against your best interest as a driver. Drivers filed a class action lawsuit against Uber last week, accusing the company of violating their right to be protected against workplace political coercion under California law. You shouldn't be pressured with your employer's political opinions while you're at work, and you definitely shouldn't feel afraid that you might lose your job 
if you don't agree with your employer on a political question. George Warner is an attorney with Legal Aid at Work, one of the organizations bringing the lawsuit against Uber. The big issue for us is not just as misleading, it's the issue is that, that they're asking these drivers to support the proposition within the app and that they're threatening drivers with losing their job if Prop 22 doesn't pass. One of Uber's pop-ups only allows drivers to select the options yes on Prop 22 or the word OK. Another instructed drivers to talk to their customers about the measure. The contract that Uber requires drivers to sign says that Uber can deactivate a driver for any or no reason, sole discretion, including doing something that's disparaging to the brand. So in that, when, when that's the world that Uber drivers live in, it would be completely reasonable for them to think that Uber is paying attention to whether they're looking at the Prop 22 messaging. We reached out to Uber for comment. They responded with a statement saying, this is an absurd lawsuit without merit filed solely for press attention. California has no spending limits in ballot measure campaigns like Prop 22. The latest financial filings with the state show Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Postmates, and Instacart have poured about $200 million into passing the measure. $10 million of that is listed as in-kind contributions, meaning the companies are putting non-monetary things, like their own staff hours or customer contact lists, into the campaign. Lyft has been sending push notifications to users' phones promoting Prop 22. Instacart had workers include Yes on 22 materials with grocery orders. DoorDash drivers are delivering takeout food in bags branded with the Yes on 22 logo. I think that technology companies' unprecedented scale and the low cost to them to put out these political messages really is distorting our system of democracy. That's the voice of Daniel Newman, president of the nonprofit MapLight, which exposes money in politics and advocates for political reform. It's one thing for corporations to buy TV ads and mailers, and of course the Uber and Lyft and, and other corporations do this tremendously, but to use the, the own apps that we all carry on our personal phones to put out political messages is really, I think, an abuse of the, the power of these companies. The relationship we have with uh, a company that we have an app on on our phone is a business transactional relationship. MapLight runs a free website, votersedge.org, where voters can see who's spending big in favor or against state measures. But it relies on the official disclosures that don't really capture all the details of the campaigning the companies are doing through their own platforms. And here these companies are spending, climbing to close to $200 million to promote this measure that would uh, save the money and remove rights for workers is, is something that distorts the, the way democracy is supposed to work, where people have um, the information they need to make informed decisions. Newman says the initiative system needs to be reformed so that it's not as easy for tech giants to purchase changes to the laws that regulate them. What if every user of every app had to affirmatively opt in by signing out their full name to say, yes, I'm willing to receive political messages? So that would really stop in its tracks companies that have this installation base for users that didn't sign up to receive political messages from exploiting those networks that they already have. Like, why should I, as a, a user of Uber or Lyft, have to get communications that is not related to my ride? It's kind of like spam, right? And we have laws against spam. 
If Prop 22 passes, the companies are expected to pursue similar measures in other states. If it fails, Uber and Lyft will soon have to comply with a 30-day court order to start treating their drivers as employees. For KPFA Radio in Berkeley on the election beat, I'm Ariel Boone. You may have had your eyebrows go up as you were going through the booklet and saw some of the names on the arguments. Alice Huffman, the president of the California NAACP, keeps cropping up with positions that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a civil rights group with a long and storied history. Uh, Her name is attached to the yes on 22 argument that puts her at odds with labor unions all the state over. No on Prop 21. That puts the state NAACP at odds with tenants' rights organizations. No on 15 puts it on the same side as hardcore right-wing anti-tax groups. And the list goes on and on, including Proposition 25, where the state NAACP has carved out the same position as the bail bond industry. Uh, Turns out this is not happening in a vacuum. Alice Huffman, the president of the NAACP, runs a political consulting firm that does quite well during election years, collecting checks from the same campaigns whose positions it has endorsed. We're joined now by Laurel Rosenhall, who covers politics and power for Cal Matters, wrote an extensive story and has had to update it as more checks come in. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, let's start at the beginning. What, what is Alice Huffman's background? She's been a figure in California politics for nearly 50 years. Um, She first got her start working for Jerry Brown when um, he was governor the first time around. And and then she went on to become a lobbyist for the teachers union when Willie Brown was the speaker of the assembly. She developed a very close working relationship with Jerry, uh, with Willie Brown and um, really helped the teachers union rise to the prominence that it that it has and the political power that it enjoys in Sacramento. Um, and then she, uh, after that, she she left the teachers union, started her own public affairs firm um, in 1988, but became the president of the California NAACP in 1999. And she has had a very successful career since then as a, as a Democratic political campaign consultant. So she opens the consulting firm at the same time that she takes the reins of the, the state NAACP? Uh, no, those were separated by several years, but um, both took place, um, you know, more than 20 years ago. Got it. Like, why don't you walk us through the the actual money? Like, how, how much is moving through her consulting firm while she's signing uh, these these campaign arguments as in her capacity as president of the NAACP? Um, well, this year, it's already almost... $2 million. Uh, it's really a lot this year. And she's working on a lot of campaigns, which is the other sort of unusual thing, because um, in past years, she's she's been paid by, you know, maybe two camp ballot measure campaigns. And this year, she's being paid by five of them. And as you said in your open, um, it mostly includes aligning with with more the corporate side that is against the union side in general. Um, 
So she's she's getting paid a very large amount by no on 15. People may have seen her in the ads. That's against the split role measure. Um, she's been paid, uh, God, it's been, I think it's almost a million dollars already by them. Um, and I'm, I'm doing the math here. I'm looking at my chart. It was 40, according yeah, to the latest there you, go. you have on your website. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, that, that's the one that she's getting paid the most by. She's also been paid significantly by the no on 21, which is against the, um, ability for cities to expand rent control. That one is, uh, was 280 at the time I wrote the article. And then it was another, um, another 340,000 after that. So more than half a million there on, on no on 21. So like what, what is Alice Huffman's defense, uh, uh of this arrangement? <laughs> So she would not talk to me for this article. So I do not have any firsthand um, response from her. Um, in the past, in past years and other articles, she's told other reporters that she only works as a consultant on campaigns that the NAACP has already endorsed. So in other words, she's argued that she's sort of helping advance the official position of the NAACP. Um, I, she did not tell me that herself. I do not know if she argues that that's the case this year. I can say that looking at the campaign finance reports, a lot of these payments started early in the year, um, you know, February, March, at a time when it would be very unusual for a group to make an endorsement on a ballot measure. You know, ballot uh, propositions don't even get their assigned numbers until uh, July. So, She's been paid by these campaigns all year long, and uh, it's not clear what the endorsement process is for the NAACP. Unfortunately, not only would Ms. Huffman not talk to me, but no one on their executive board would talk to me, and uh, no one uh, in their national office would talk to me. So we don't know what role she plays um, within the NAACP in, in pressing for those endorsements. I mean, even... Even if you could set up a, a sequence of events where all the endorsements were arrived at before the first check got cut to her political consulting firm, you could still postulate that if she's in a position to influence the endorsements, she's steering the organization to places she knows she can turn around and collect a check from. You could. Um, I mean, she she has... Like I said, she has argued that these are positions held by the NAACP. I, I think that the... The real question is, how does the NAACP decide what it endorses, who gets to be part of that decision, and you know what transparency is there around that? I, I spoke with NAACP leaders for, at the local level, level um, including Carol Fife in Oakland, um, who just said that you know she feels like as a local NAACP chapter official that there's just really not clarity on on what uh, on what process they use to make these endorsements. The, the local officers don't know how the state makes its endorsements, who's involved um, and and how they how, how they come to those decisions. Something that 
you you kind of waved at in your reporting, which was interesting to me, is that the NAACP, the state NAACP, doesn't advertise its positions on ballot initiatives on its website. Like, do they even try to communicate it to their membership, or, or is the impact of their position solely the fact that you know a campaign can slap it on their ads? Well. Their website is out of date, and I don't, I, I can't speak to why that is. I mean, maybe they just don't draw much audience to their website. Maybe it's not how they're reaching people. Um, but they certainly are, um, you know, communicating their positions through the campaigns, right? I mean, all of us have been inundated with mail and advertising, and a lot of it carries the the logo of the, of the NAACP. Um, it's also noteworthy to point out that there's a newsletter called the Minority News, and it looks like a community newspaper. Um, it's basically a paid advertorial that is part of the kind of suite of products and services that Alice Huffman um, sells as a as a campaign consultant. So the minority news newsletter goes out to uh, households all over the state. I think that they target African American households, and the positions in that are um, many of them are just whatever the campaign campaigns paid for. It's basically a slate mailer where campaigns can pay to put their positions in there. And it's very confusing when you look at it. It's very blended between sort of the NAACP president sort of speaking to the audience and the advertisements speaking to the audience. There's it's it's not when you leaf through it, it creates the impression that it's a that it's a, a newsletter, you know, from the NAACP because it has Alice Huffman on the cover and her photo, and she's identified as the NAACP president, taking positions, um, editorializing, you know, on these on these state measures. So um, it's definitely confusing. Right, and then those 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 slate or those paid slate mailers mm-hmm. also have the effect of very much like kind of muddying the state's mm-hmm. disclosure requirements. As someone who receives it, it's not exactly clear who's paying for the various pieces of it. Yeah, it, 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 that's a that's another part of campaign law that is, um, you know, confusing. They 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 might have to disclose. I think they have to put a little asterisk on the ones that paid for it. But it's it, it becomes very, very hard for the ordinary person to sift through it all. All right. Uh, Laura Rosenhall, I want to thank you for the reporting. Certainly made my eyebrows shoot up uh, when I came across your graphics of how much money Alice Huffman's firm collected uh, during this election year. Thanks for having me. Laura Rosenhall covers politics and power for Cal Matters. That's a nonprofit news site covering the state. She is focused on the state capitol.
All right, that does it for our election special, California Ballot Breakdown. A big thanks to Corinne Smith, who produced uh, most of the interviews and debate segments that have aired as a part of this series. If you're still going through your California Ballot booklet, you can find all of our past episodes by just looking for California Ballot Breakdown at kpfa.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to make a plan to vote. And remember, in California, your vote matters even more down the ballot.